Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. So the year 2020 is gradually coming to a close. We don't need to remind anyone of the transformation, the unprecedentedness and complete disruption that occurred during this year. On the Talking Health Tech podcast, we focus quite a bit on the impact of patients and the adaption of products and health tech solutions, which have occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic. But what we've not done too much is focus on how specific companies have responded and communicated to their key stakeholders, so their customers and their providers, their patients, and importantly, their own staff. So today in this live stream webinar panel discussion, we'll be doing just that with one health tech company in Australia that stands out as leading in the pack when it comes to adapting to the environment that they're in and staying true to their values. So HotDoc is Australia's largest and most trusted patient engagement platform with over 18,000 listed doctors and 6 million active patients. And every time I say that, they usually then say, oh, it's more now. So it's probably more by now than two. Today, I'm joined by three team members at HotDoc as they reflect on their company's response to COVID-19 and how they maintain the trust and engagement of patients and the motivation of their staff during this challenging time. For those that don't know, my name is Peter Birch and I'm moderating the panel discussion. Uh, We've got live attendees of this webinar session that we're doing today and they're just rocking in now and they can influence the discussion. So if you're here live, you can influence the discussion and shape the way it goes by participating in some live chat, Q&A and polls. You know, we want to make this a bit of an engaging, different experience that we can all learn from and share experiences from. So please do share in that session there and let us know that you're attending and listening in. We're also recording the audio for this session to then broadcast as an episode of the Talking Health Tech podcast in a couple of weeks. So joining me on the panel from Hot Doc will be Louise Lysart, Head of Customer Experience, Magali DeCastro, Clinical Director, and Charles Beaton, Head of Finance. Before we get started, I might close out the poll and see who's responded. Mm, Some have. Here we go. We'll end it. I'm not sure if that shows for you on your end, but the responses that we received, what best describes you? Over half have responded and said that they're a clinical or healthcare provider. Some of them are admin and managers and then some CS, like customer support people. Interestingly, question two, so putting the global health and economic issues aside, how do you think personally you've gone this year? And everyone has responded and said the experience has opened up new opportunities and ways of thinking for me. And it's exciting to think of what's to come. So that's kind of cool. And no one's completely over it and wants to go back to normal. Next question is how long do you think we've got until we've got a COVID-19 vaccine? 86% of people said in the next six to 12 months, that's a pretty safe answer. I did warn everyone that if you chose the last answer, which is it's a hoax, don't get me started, man, then you'd be automatically kicked off the webinar. And the last option, so thank you, no one for selecting that option. And lastly, just out of curiosity, is your company doing a forced annual leave over the Christmas New Year break? So if you're interested, 43% of people said, yes, we are. 29% of people said, no, we're not. And 29% of people also said, I don't know yet. So it's probably all the managers that have said, I don't know yet as well. Who knows? So that's uh, interesting to see how that'll play out, given that we've probably not had any extravagant holidays this year. So thank you for participating in that poll. Now let's... um, Let's go around the room and we'll let everyone introduce. I've said everyone's names and their title, but it'd be great to get, a, get to know a little bit more. Charles, did you want to kick things off and introduce yourself and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Charles Beaton. I'm the head of finance at HotDoc. I've been with HotDoc in one way or another for over five years. 
So I manage the finance team. I've also done a few other little bits and pieces around operations and people-related stuff, particularly at the start of COVID um, when our head of people and culture went on paternity leave. So that was good timing. I think that happened about a week before COVID struck. So yeah, been around the traps for quite a while and have sort of done a lot of things around the business. So well-placed to join in in this discussion. Looking forward to it. Magali, did you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Magali. I'm the clinical director at HotDoc and I do a lot of the internal training as well as external training in terms of like how do things work in a general practice or just in clinics in general. So we make sure that anything that we create or produce or any features products makes life actually easier instead of getting in the way. And I do a lot of the webinars, which is like a way of providing like resources and training for practices out there, regardless of whether or not they are a customer. Thank you. And Lou, Louise, tell us about yourself. Yes. So I am the head of customer experience at Hot Doc. It will actually be my second anniversary at Hot Doc next week. Um, And I look after the customer facing teams at Hot Doc, which are made up of our clinics onboarding function, our customer success teams and our support team as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, let's kick things off then. I might start with you, Charles. So try and remember back to the start of the year in the first few days of COVID when that happened, what were your first thoughts and how long did you think it was all going to last? Yeah. I mean, my first thoughts, I certainly wasn't too worried or concerned. I thought it might be, uh, we might be out of the office for maybe a month or so. So I was pretty wrong. I do remember Ben, our CEO saying, you know, once we do make this decision to start working from home. And I think we did, we actually made that decision before we were sort of forced to. He said, once we do this, like it's going to be at least six months. And I was thinking, wow, okay. So I think at that point, it kind of dawned on me a little bit that things were going to change pretty dramatically. But personally, like living in Australia and Melbourne and all the way through, like I've just been thankful for the, the health care that we're provided in this country. So it's never been, you know, it's obviously been a reasonably stressful time, but I've always, always been pretty confident in the way we were able to handle this. But um, yeah, I do remember Ben saying that and it kind of dawned on me then that, you know, things are going to change quite dramatically, mm. not only in this country, but for hot doc and you know we've got a awesome office in the cbd of melbourne very social crew so that point it was kind of like are we going to be able to see each other over the next few months so Mm. yeah that's kind of my early recollection yeah i remember i actually because we just came into the office today and i saw you know as uh, our team we put on a piece of paper as we left for the last day as we were going home we, we had the little you know put your ten dollar bet on how long till we come back into the office and i think the person that guessed the longest out was five weeks that they thought they'd be back in the office i, I put two weeks down and i even thought then that's probably too much but i obviously mis- misread that one <laughs> yes and, and thanks dan for putting that message and you did still win so that's technically correct <laughs> great so he's on the ball isn't he all right but from Magali, from a clinical perspective, was that kind of about the same for you? Were you expecting a bit of a long haul or you had no idea? Uh, as a clinician, I was very cautious and you're doing that thing where you're alert, you're wanting to not jump the gun, get enough information, see what's actually happening. And we did actually, like we even did info sessions internally to reassure the team in terms of how we would go about it. I think I imagine it would be maybe something like the swine flu pandemic. And that's what I had in mind as the way that it would probably roll out. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that it was going to be the scale that it ended up being and that we actually would have to go into like, yeah, into Mm. a lockdown situation and all of the, all of a sudden, all the pandemic plans and all the accreditation stuff that we always thought was just paperwork. And obviously it never has been, but a lot of people have that attitude. 
now it's like, this is why we need that stuff in place because it can happen and here we have it. Yeah, it's definitely not theoretical anymore. And dealing with stakeholders, that's a lot of what we're talking about today is about you know responding to different stakeholders. So it'd be great to know, Lou, from your perspective, starting with customers, how did you approach it? How did you implement your response to customers and what was the response? Really great question. It all happened really rather fast. Um, my last day in the office was March 13th. It was a Friday. And uh, that morning we went live in production with our telehealth solution. And I was still thinking, this is only going to last a few weeks like everyone else. Why are we so worried about getting all of these solutions out so fast? But how we responded, and we have clinics right down to solo GPs up to sort of large enterprise size clinics. We responded in a really personalized way and just set up a lot more listening posts to get feedback on what solutions did people need and just really tightened our connection with our product team so that in the moment in real time, we were making changes to patient screening. And they were happening daily almost and trying to keep up with it all. Magali was central to as our clinical director. Uh, and Charles is probably not speaking to all of his roles because he's our COVID reporter in-house, keeping us all informed of what's happening on the outside. But really, it was about a heightened sense of listening. And I think what really helped us throughout that is we had done a lot of work on how customer teams and product teams work hand in glove and really listen to one another. I think if we didn't have that way of working across our teams and that closeness, we wouldn't have been able to respond as well. So a lot of the groundwork we put into systems, processes, frameworks to be really great at listening and reacting really held us in good stead to make changes often daily during those first weeks. Yeah, it's interesting that there'd be that initial period of, I don't know, flux or just uncertainty where almost like people don't know exactly what they need as customers and what they're missing. Are you finding now things have kind of, you know, after people had a bit of time and dust is kind of settling and people are working out technology that you've got back to a bit of a rhythm of this is what the roadmap looks like and this is what we'll be doing for our customers? Definitely. And I think our customers, even, you know, a couple of months ago, what we like to do is often invite our customers to talk to our staff just on calls we record that some of our customers are happy for us to share. And it was just really interesting to hear from people. They're undergoing the same things we are, which is panic, uh, people really focused on well-being and working with clinics to sort of help them, not just in providing the telehealth solutions, but also in providing solutions to help you manage your staff. Like what we were doing internally, we were sharing externally as well. But in terms of product roadmap, if that's what you're asking, we've had some networking events recently, which Magali and I have been involved in. And it's really interesting to hear from customers about what they see the future of telehealth being, or indeed the flexibility of remote working that now applies to doctors, in addition to regular office workers that we probably hadn't preempted. So it seems like telehealth will be here to stay and certain solutions around payments and telehealth video, et cetera, are still top of mind and things that we're still working on. Thank you. That is interesting. So then thinking around people, you know, you mentioned Charles as the COVID reporter and him underselling himself a little bit there. Um, I feel like I could ask him, but then he might uh, undersell himself even more. But look, no, I'll go, I'll go to you, Charles. Internally, communicating with staff. I mean, that's something that uh, I know in some organizations, it can be easy to overlook that component when you're so focused from a customer side of things and a product thing to not focus too much on staff. So it sounds like you really took the reins on that. Tell me a little bit more about dealing with communicating with staff around COVID. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, like staff are our 
our number one asset. So very early in the piece when there was so much information coming out from various places, whether it be state premiers, prime ministers, media, all different areas, what we decided to do was set up an internal channel where I was going to disseminate information, not only in relation to whether we were going to be working from the office or what our policy was in relation to COVID, what happens if you get COVID, do you get sick leave, all that sort of stuff. But just in general, information, factual as possible, coming from our various governments. And I still continue to do that to this day. So it's providing information basically as it happens. I spend part of my day making sure I'm across various events and updating our staff as it happens, whether it be COVID numbers, restrictions, you know, and we've got people in various states across Australia and, and in New Zealand as well. So keeping everyone abreast of all of those changes. We also bought in a weekly all staff sort of catch up on a Friday, which we did not do beforehand. We have a monthly catch up, but we bought in a weekly one because there was so much happening, um, whether it be people wise, product, you know, with our clinics, you know, so much going on, all the Medicare changes. So we decided to do that weekly where we would focus on questions from our staff, whether it be relation to products or our COVID policy or just in general around the business. We also used that sort of half an hour every week to do some humorous stuff as well. We appointed a chief silly officer who was charged with keeping things a little bit light. So while it was a, a great time to catch up on what was happening around the business, it was also a good chance to come together and, you know, have a bit of a laugh, which was important considering how dire it looked there at some stage. And, and given that most of our staff are in Victoria, June and July was such a tricky time. But I think absolutely keeping the lines of communication open. And I think, you know, that's been proven in some of our staff engagement surveys where communication was probably not our strong point and is a struggle for a lot of businesses, internal communication, I mean, um, to nail it. And that just went up through the roof. And I think it was one of the factors behind us being able to get through this so um, with such strength. And then everyone being as well as possible in tune with what was happening internally. And, you know, we'd hear from Lou and Magali around what was happening with our clinics. And so particularly for people like myself and a lot of the business who are not customer facing, that time was also used to hear about some of the struggles facing the clinics. And, you know, in turn, that kind of lifted us up because, you know, it's much easier coming to work knowing that you're the work you're doing is making life easier for clinics who were ground zero doing it much tougher than us. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, it was, you know, we, we had a lot of advantages over other businesses because we were doing real meaningful work that we could see day to day mm. was improving the lives of others. So it was a good chance for us to communicate that to the business internally and externally as well. No, totally. The part that I can't get my head around just as an aside is that's the most people focused answer I've heard from a, like a head of finance ever. And so that, you're either in the wrong role or you're multitasking. So that, that's <laughs> good multitasker. Good multitasker. No, that I mean, it speaks well to the culture of Hot Doc, I think, too. And just around that, too, when, when I think of Hot Doc, you know, even before COVID, and we'll go to Magali for this one, wellness for staff has been particularly, you know, highly valued for Hot Doc. I imagine this was front of mind during COVID for you guys. How did you approach the concept of wellness around your staff? Yeah, absolutely. I think even to Charles' point and everything that he did to help communicate that, that actually helped enormously from a mental health point of view, because then it meant that particularly during the early days when everyone was so anxious about, you know, everything that was in the media and mixed messages, it meant that we were allowed to just stop looking at media and almost disconnect from the news. 
and just have mm-hmm. that one central point to get our information from, knowing that it was well-researched, that it was going to be relevant to us. And a lot of people were using that even to like disseminate to their own like team members, to disseminate to their own families. So that was an added bonus that ended up being super helpful. Yeah, we've always had a big um, focus on health and well-being, particularly around mental health. It kicked up a notch. So we expanded our, we have an EAP, like an employee assistance program where um, our team members can access like confidential clinical psychology services that are subsidized by the company. That increased. We even like set up a, an employee wellness um, program, um, which we then also made available to practices. So that was like a six weekly program around mindfulness and uh, energy management and self-care to kind of help bring some of those concepts to life in a practical way. And we had a, a great initiative called um, BHAGs or uh, Big Hairy Audacious Goals that was supporting team members with a personal, identifying personal goals. And they could be around anything, didn't have to be work related. And the company was actually like supporting financially whatever with you know whatever resources they needed to make that happen. And so it also kind of helped. Some people had health goals. We had access to allied health as well. So that like nutrition and physical activity, if they wanted to kind of do those things safely. So yeah, there was a lot of focus on that and obviously constantly checking in with the teams and doing surveys and finding out how they were going. So there was a lot that went into it. Yeah. And it's, when you're running a business, a small or a large business, it doesn't really matter. You know, you know, you're supposed to have an EAP service and you know, you're supposed to provide support for staff, but so easily that can be dismissed as a, yeah, we've got it, call them if you need it. And so from an employee's perspective, you're not going to engage those services if the employer doesn't yeah. genuinely believe it is helpful. So it sounds like you really valued those services and kind of emphasize that to staff to make it something meaningful. Yeah, absolutely. And we even had subsidies for like if people wanted to download apps for meditation or mindfulness or things like that, there was also subsidy to support that. And yeah. It's interesting. And there's probably some good ideas for other companies too, because there's still a lot that needs to be done around that space in terms of supporting employees. And so, you know, you guys in Melbourne, and I've been to that office too, it's a cool office. And I like that balcony and a lot of green and that, you know, to not be using that in 2020 must be heartbreaking for you. But the, um, I guess, you know, starting to come back a little bit now, but being in Melbourne, there was that, you know, the huge second wave that hit. Lou, from your perspective, what was the vibe around that when that hit? And, you know, did, it sounds like you might've been on a bit of a train in terms of, you know, there's the wellness and the things starting to come back, but then you get this big second wave in Melbourne. What was that like? And did like, you've got to have a lot of stamina and resilience to get through that as a leadership team. Yeah, for sure. And I think we'd put in place a lot of communication and wellness during the first wave that we just didn't stop and carry through. Um, my immediate reaction on the Tuesday of the announcement of from midnight to night, everything is changing, was to tell my team to take the afternoon off, go and get your nails done, have a drink and get ready for what's ahead. It was everybody finish what you're doing and leave the leave what you're doing and enjoy the afternoon. It's the last one for a while, yeah. So, which I certainly did myself. I think there was an overwhelming sense of this is going to be really bad. I'm not uh, able for this. And we just doubled down on communication and reiterating to people how much they were helping at a time of need and how what they did, like everybody from someone who works in customer support through to developers or Charles's team in finance was actually contributing to seeing our purpose and our mission at play in a really, really real way. Uh, A lot of people 
took a lot of solace in that, that connection to our purpose. And it did pull us through somewhat. But that's not to say that, you know, more people weren't accessing our health coaching, our well-being, our EAP programs, or just taking a little bit more time off when it just became a bit too much. It was a really busy time. If I talk to customer facing teams, we had a 100% increase in what we needed to do. And we had people who joined the business remotely at this time of, of total chaos and total change, which was a challenge in and of itself. Because normally onboarding is, as you've said, Pete, you know, going out to the balcony and sitting with your team and having a coffee or having a beer in the evening. So that had changed. People were working for bedrooms. So really just totally increasing our contact with people one-on-one and really reminding everyone that they were contributing directly to our community in helping our clinics who are at the front line or grand zero, as Charles mentioned and called it, helping them with something that was great for our community and great for patients. Yeah, that's an interesting point around the onboarding and especially when you're trying to establish a strong company and you've got a strong company culture and want to instill that for staff early on. And so much of that can just be absorbed via osmosis in being there physically. But like you say, in sitting in front of your laptop in your bedroom or wherever you are, that can be a lot harder to do. Charles, from your side or anyone in particular, you know, on the panel, how did you, because you had new staff coming on during everything in 2020, how did you instill the culture of Hot Doc in this new environment of remote work? I think I might let Lou answer that because Lou, you've had quite a few new team members, so you've had to do it on the ground and I can chime in later. I'd love to say there was a really good process around this. Like we have a great onboarding process. So we just made that remote. Like we will welcome staff in a certain way. Everybody meets the leadership team to hear about every function. So we're able to continue doing all those things remotely. But you've sort of touched on it, Pete. Social learning is massive. Not everything is written down and no more so when things were changing daily. So to try and get people across everything that was changing, we set up an Ask Magali weekly event just to sort of get our heads around us what is happening and state by state as well. So knowledge transfer is normally you just hear someone talking on the phone beside you and you're like, oh, that sounds good. Oh, I didn't know that. Just became a little bit harder, to be honest. And we've since put in like a knowledge specialist role and taken on a customer learning role to continue to double down on sharing knowledge, making it on demand and available to customers just outside of our opening hours as well. So we've learned a lot from where we may have had gap. But onboarding staff, little things like our tone of voice or the way we speak to customers. If you take somebody on board, you're not hearing and you know absorbing a biosmosis. So we pick up on oh, no, a we're okay with that. You know, we can we can talk to product about this. This is the response you can have. And people are like, all right, okay, I, hot talk is so different in how it will listen to customers and respond for someone who's maybe worked in support in another company who doesn't have that direct connection to product to, to make change and improvements. So things like our tone of voice or or the personalized way we talk to customers. Some people might have been more formal who came on board or, or too informal. So things like that just became things that we had to improve on by trial and error or, or learning retrospectively and coming up with an idea and applying it. Hard for remote people because you learn so much just in an office. So, or you gain connections and build relationships face-to-face traditionally. So for new people who started, I applaud them in how they managed to build relationships remotely. I think I would have found it very difficult myself. Mm. It's interesting. I just thought then too, I should have pulled it up earlier to find out exactly who it was. And I'm sure if they hear this, they'll know who they are. But I saw somewhere online, they had a new starter that wrote a blog article or something about their experience and coming on and felt so strongly about the support they had in coming. So I guess it goes both ways. It also goes about attracting the type of people that you know have that initiative or value the kind of environment that you create too. So pretty good. 
Charles, I'm thinking from a looking at the attendees here and knowing the audience of the podcast, and we're all about learning and trying to apply things for our own businesses as well. If I'm in a, a startup or a scale-up health organization, health tech company, all of these things sound great and that you know, we need to support staff and everything, but I've also got a business to run and I've also got you know numbers that need to be hit. So how do you have time for all of this? You know, as a, and maybe it's because you've got, is it because you've got so many different people dedicated on making sure the environment is right and then there's other people that are just focused on customers or how do you internally when you're looking at the numbers or when you're looking at everything go, you know what, this is valuable stuff that we're doing, but you need to pull away from doing stuff on the day-to-day to be able to make it happen? Yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty lucky in that, I guess, we're almost out of the startup, like we're bigger. We've got 100 staff, we've got a Mm. dedicated people and culture team, you know, our customer team is substantially different to what it was two years ago. So we were able to focus on some things that other startups might not have been able to, but my advice would be, and it's always been the case for us, that our people are our number one. We need to look after our people if we're going to be able to accomplish our mission. Two years ago, we might not have had a head of people and culture, but it was like, I guess it's just being focused that people are, are your number one and look after them properly, yeah. which was what our initial focus was. And that allowed us to in turn look after our customers properly. That makes sense. There's a lot of a lot of little things that you can take from it and the themes that can be applied there. Absolutely. And so Magali, you know, looking back on what's occurred, it's always great to look back in hindsight and retrospect. And let's hopefully let's never do this again, by the way. But if we're to be done again, what would you do differently? Look, I think this is an interesting question because if I kind of sit down and reflect, I have no regrets in terms of the way that we did things. Because I think one of the big things, at least personally for me, is always checking in, like, have I got the right intention as I'm doing this? Essentially, is my heart and mind in the right place? And I feel like, obviously, no one's perfect. You know, we made mistakes. Everyone's going to make mistakes. But as long as that's your compass or your guiding principle... So in a way, I think there's nothing that I feel we would have done differently. We probably, we worked really hard, but we also were very mindful to kind of essentially make sure that we were burning ourselves out and calling that out as well. We have a culture, we have a lot of high performers in the culture. And one of our key values is um, accountability or take responsibility. So naturally, it's a culture of like, you know, we're going to see a project, we need something that needs to get done, and we're going to do it. So say there's nothing that I would do differently. Um, If anything, more broadly, not as a company, but just as as an industry. Now it's, uh, let's take all these um, accreditation and like the paperwork uh, documentation of disaster recovery or what would happen if, like what's our, our risk plan? What's our management plan if um, these things would happen? Like take them more seriously because it's not just a bureaucratic tick box exercise. It has a purpose. Yeah, totally. And I'll ask the last question, but there'll be other ones that people will ask. I'll give everyone the opportunity to uh, who's attending live in the webinar to ask any questions in the Q&A box or in the chat there. So do that while we continue to respond. But um, I'll throw to Lou then for the last question I have, which is, you know, next year and beyond. So once we get through all this and I don't know, let's say we've got the, then we're in whatever new world, the new normal is. Working wise, do you think that you'll, you know, everyone will just go back into an office environment where you do a bit of a blend thing? A lot, I know a lot of companies are thinking about how they'll work, you know, into the future. Have you guys had any thought around what that looks like? We certainly have, and particularly with the announcements around, you know, 25% of the workforce can return to Victorian offices from next week. Uh, we've surveyed our staff and very few want to be fully remote and very few want to be fully back in the office. So, for example, in my team of 30 plus, 
No one wants to be back in the office five days a week. There's flexibility offered by working from home. And also some of our staff members have moved a little further out from Melbourne CBD, purchased their first home, you know, which might be a little bit further out in a more affordable area as a result of remote working. So it will definitely be a blended approach. And we're definitely have a positive sentiment towards people working remotely ongoing. Our team have performed really well and adjusted well. Zoom fatigue is definitely a thing, for sure. Trying to find the energy for the next call uh, when it's just constant all day long speaking to customers and then being on Zoom is a thing. And this connection you get by being in the office is definitely lost somewhat. So definitely a blended approach and trying to work with our people's needs. But performance wise, we've been able to maintain the same standards. So that transition to remote seemed to have worked remarkably well beyond our expectations. So that's been a blessing in itself. Fantastic. I'll throw to any attendees, the participants who've attended live to the webinar, you can write a question in Q&A. If you're feeling bold, then you can also, I think you can raise your hand and then we can even turn your microphone on if you wanted to ask a question live. And if you don't swear or say anything vulgar, then we can put you on the podcast. And if you swear, then we'll just won't put it on the podcast or we can bleep it out or something. So we'll give everyone a minute or two. I can't think of a reason why you would swear, but anyway. And if we've not got anything coming through, then we might wrap it up or throw for any final thoughts. So I'll give another couple of seconds. Here we go. I've got a question that's come. So the question's from Simon and it's, what measures did you have in place for hot doc staff and patients in the field? So I guess that's the thing that, you know, we've got a lot of staff that are remote, but being in healthcare, having face-to-face meetings is pretty important. In hot doc generally, were you visiting clinics before COVID for a clinician engagement or was everything purely remote? No, no, we did visit clinics. Primarily, we communicate with our clinics over the phone or a video as well. But we did visit our clinics, so that obviously paused. Um, we would regularly arrange to go interstate as well and travel to see clinics once a quarter, state by state. So that paused too. Hopeful to resume that again. And uh, we would often have customer events once a quarter as well. So that will move to a virtual channel rather than you know meeting everyone and having some food and wine together and having Magali often walk through something new in healthcare industry that would be a good information session. So hopeful that we go back to that. But from a staff perspective, we didn't need contact tracing as such because everybody was working fully remotely and we're in the in the main we're all Melbourne based so people were actually in lockdown so we knew where everybody was or where they were supposed to be so it wasn't something that was very important given our way of working was entirely remote and from the home. And Magali, just interesting, like as a side question, clinicians generally, I know, you know, in general practice, when you're a few GPs working there and you've got your small group learning sessions and everyone's kind of sharing in the tea room, the coffee room, you know, that being removed, um, I, I guess they're still there, but obviously there's a lot more restrictions going on. Uh, you know, from, from a clinician's perspective, how's that been? And the move to being mostly remote, has that changed things culturally in clinics that you found or is it? Well, I think, look, obviously, like the, the experience was widely different across 
different practices. Um, some of them were very quick to pivot to like telehealth, shut down physical doors. And so there was absolutely no in-person thing happening. Like the building doors were shut. So everything kind of moved to virtual scenario. Obviously, a lot of other clinics were still open to see patients face to face. And so for them, it was probably more around helping them with the logistics of, okay, if you're, if you're having to continue to see patients, what are the things that you can do to protect your team? How do you educate your team? In terms of the, I think a lot of them became a lot better at communication because we had to. So that internal communication, we were, we probably still are um, notoriously terrible in practices and particularly small practices at, yeah, communicating with our team and making sure that everybody's on the same page. We often, even in small teams, like we work in silos. So this kind of forced a lot of practices to bring back uh, or bring in a regular type meeting or, you know, be it Zoom or be it whatever it is. So I think it probably helped from that point. But uh, yeah, obviously you always, at the moment in the Facebook groups, one of the biggest questions is what are we going to do for our Christmas parties? Like that was actually one of the big concerns of like, how are people managing this? How are people navigating this? So yeah, obviously you lose some of that personal element and people who are immunocompromised in the practices, yeah, had to either be put off site and made sure that they see if they could perform the role remotely, then that's how it worked. Otherwise, they were essentially just taking themselves out of the workforce. Other people had their hours cut back, particularly a lot of nurses. So that was tough from that point. It's an interesting time. No, thank you. And there's a question come through that's around, you know, from a business, those running health businesses, I might go to Charles for this one around sales targets or goals or general kind of things, you know, the budgets that get set at the start of the year compared to the end, not to get into specifics or anything, but, you know, was there level of adjustments that needed to be made or was it something that you kept on track for? Yeah, generally we set our targets on a quarterly basis and that works well. Uh, we find for business like ours where things change quite quickly. So, you know, we have longer term targets, but really we measured against more shorter term, we call them OKRs, objectives and key results, because, you know, just in light of, of an ever changing environment, and that was never as evident during COVID. So absolutely, we kind of had to be nimble with all that sort of stuff. Otherwise, it just, you know, just gets outdated too quickly. I saw as well, so we'll use this as the last question that came from Kirsty, and it's a little bit around growth, but also, you know, a good point. I will go to Lou for this one, I think. Upskilling GP practices in using telehealth, were you quite involved in that whole process with GPs having to do things differently and helping them? Yeah, for sure. And actually, Magali played a massive role in this, so I will also ask her to comment. It sort of worked on Magali providing us with the information and then my team creating playbooks to help educate our customers. But we also worked with our marketing team to create a whole new info hub with its own specific landing page, which contained everything you needed to know down to, you know, posters to put on your door about wearing masks and what to do and what not to do from a patient perspective and also a clinician or reception staff perspective as well. So marketing team did a massive job on on creating that info hub. And we did ask our customers during this, when we surveyed them and asked about what they need, overwhelmingly, we got a great response to providing all of that information and just keeping it up to date day on day. Essentially, every Monday, everything changed. So Sunday night, we were feverishly building new content based on what Magali would give us too. But Magali, you probably have something else to add to what I've mentioned. 
Well, it was one of those, like, you know, I hate saying this again. It's, it was unprecedented. Like we saw more changes in this period of time than we've seen, or sometimes in a couple of weeks than we would have seen in five years worth of, you know, working in the industry. So there was a lot of efforts to try and equip and resource the practices, give them tools, of, give them education, give them handouts, give them fact sheets, answering questions, having things like the hub. So, um, yeah, and, and with something like telehealth, like there were a lot of logistical things that, you know, we didn't realize would be an issue. Like all the webcams uh, were sold out. So you had all these clinics going, yep, let's go to telehealth. Now we can't get webcams. So the doctors are say, well, do we use our phones? So we, so we even ran webinars on like, well, what are the legal risks or implications around the different ways that we're engaging with patients now using uh, these types of technologies. So yeah, a lot of it was, it's a steep learning curve at the best of times, but we had the added benefit of the pressure that kind of made it really happen for a lot of practices where it would have probably taken, you know, years, if not decades for the same change to come into place. Fantastic. Look, I think we'll wrap it up there. Look, thank you everyone for your questions and panelists. I really appreciate your time and going through. And, you know, I even thought before this session that I've probably not even reflected on 2020 this year myself. It's I've had conversations with others and the ability to pause even for 45 minutes and think about that and look back and hopefully take some lessons that'll be helpful for others has been really valuable. So Magali, Charles and Lou, thank you so much for your time. For everyone else that uh, is either watching the recording or is attending live, you'll be able to hear this as an episode of the podcast in the coming weeks on the Talking Health tech. So everyone, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.